Amen. Thank you, Dr. Taylor and choir and musicians. What a great, great setup for where we want to go. God's destiny for us that he has in Christ Jesus made us redeemed, made us secured, made us guarded and guided in his spirit. I want to bring with you or bring to you today a message I've entitled Guarded by His Peace. We're continuing our series of messages on the fruit of the Spirit. We've talked about love and joy. And now as we think about peace, I wanted to make sure that that word guarded was there and His peace was there because I believe that there is a pattern when it comes to fruitful farming that can be dangerous. And I want you guys to look at me for just a moment. In fact, it's easy for even pastors to play into this and encourage it. Sometimes if we're not careful, when we begin to think about the life of a Christian, we think about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, all of those things that are listed there in Galatians 5 for us, sometimes we believe that we can attain them ourselves. In fact, I would say it's this way. It's, it's almost that we're looking for the fruit of self and not the fruit of the Spirit. We're looking for fruit of the self. It means meaning that we're trying harder. We look at that list and it's almost a to-do list. Well, I need to be more loving in my life. Check. I, I need to be more joy-filled in my life. So I'm going to try harder to be filled with joy. Check. I need to have more peace in my life. So I'm going to seek after peace. Check. And the reality is in our culture, some people are seeking peace in all kinds of things that have nothing to do with this fruit of the Spirit. In fact, it's not lasting peace. It, it may bring temporary satisfaction. The Bible even says that sin in a season, there, there's enjoyment, there's fun maybe there in sin, but we know that it always leads to pain and heartache. But the reality is some of us are seeking the fruit of self and not the fruit of the Spirit. I, I heard a pastor some time ago that was preaching on the idea of pain and a pill. Uh, we were trying to find peace in a pill. Many people are trying to find it. In fact, I, I, I'm not at all trying to disparage medicine. I think there are good and godly uses for medicine. But the reality is some people are trying to just uh, mask uh, peace by covering their pain with a pill. And the reality is many people are trying to find peace and pleasures and they spend all kinds of money and they spend all kinds of time seeking after pursuing pleasures that might bring them some sense of lasting peace. But the reality is the fruit of the spirit of peace is just that. It is a fruit that is born from a relationship with God and the spirit-filled life. And when we are filled with the spirit, he bears fruit in and through us. Our job is to abide in him. And so today, I want us to look at our statement of affirmation. And maybe this will begin to shape the way that we focus on this. I have to tell you that my first inclination was to give you a to-do list. Here's seven steps, seven scriptures steps to stress management how do you deal with your your peace problem and your pain problem how do you deal with those things and and part of my desire was well we could go to scripture and find biblical solutions for peace you need to pray in all circumstances giving thanks and and I could have preached that kind of a message but what I would rather do today is really emphasize the work of the spirit because if we ignore the Holy Spirit in this matter of fruit in our lives, then we will be frustrated, always trying harder to earn the right in some way to experience these things that only come from the hand of God. It's not about trying harder, it's about trusting more. 
It's about spending time abiding in his word and in his will. And when we obediently abide, we find ourselves experiencing love, joy, peace, patience, and the like. Let's read together our statement of affirmation. I am free from anxiety because things are right between God, myself, and others. Let's say that again. I am free from anxiety because things are right between God, myself, and others. You see, peace is an elusive thing. Sometimes we wonder even what peace is. But I want you to know that when you have peace with God and things are right with you and God, they will begin to filter into the other relationships. And when things are right with you and right with others, you can sleep with perfect peace. You can rest knowing that you're in good hands. You're in a good place. You're covered by his love. And I want us to see that that's the kind of peace that his desire for us uh, to, to bear is. But I want you to see it this way. I want you to understand very clearly that Jesus gives us clear instruction about that peace. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. As we look in John chapter 14 today, I think we'll, we'll hopefully gain some, um, some insight into what it is that God wants for us. I, I think it's kind of interesting. When, when you do try to formulate peace on your own, what you're trying to do is the work of God. If this really is a fruit of the Spirit, then you're trying to play God's role in your own life. And really what that leads to is more stress. You can't do what the Holy Spirit uh, is intended to do. It it becomes stress-filled when you try to be God in your own life. And, And we look at peace as if it's something we can attain on our own. But the reality is, when you're doing that, things are not right with you and God as they should be. You're trying to do something He desires to do for you. I did a quick Amazon search this week in their book section. There were over 118,000 books on peace. My absolute favorite, I almost ordered it, but I knew that it would stress me out to even read the cover. So here's, here's where it is. The title of the book was Inner Peace for Busy People. And I was like, I got to read that, but hopefully it's short because I'm too busy to read a long book. But listen to the subtitle. The subtitle is this, 52 Techniques to Find Peace in Your Life. Now, I began to think, if your life is so crazy busy that you're searching the Amazon and trying to find a book that will help you find peace, and they tell you, well, simple, here's 52 more things you need to add to your plate. That book is one. I think it would bring me peace to burn that book or to rip it in, into pieces. I don't know about you. I, I have to admit, sometimes it's, it, it's so much easier, though, for us to think about steps than it is really the solution. And the solution is to stop and allow God to do that which only he can do. Let me give you a definition for peace before we read our text. Let's put it up on the screen. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the absence of fear in the midst of conflict. And the ability to cope with conflict in contentment. I want to say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that, that kind of peace only comes through the Holy Spirit. You see, sometimes people even take that statement and make it a worldly thing. They say, well, it's not the absence of conflict. It's the absence of fear in conflict. But I believe the second part of that, and in your notes, I want you to circle the ability to cope. The ability to cope. 
You see, when conflict comes into our life, I need to have some coping mechanism. But the fruit of peace only comes by the Spirit. And this is where a gospel truth centers everything that we're going to talk about. You can't experience the peace of God until you have peace with God. And the Bible says this morning that you are at odds with God. In fact, you're at war with God. I've met many people who say, well, me and God are fine. We've got our own thing going. He doesn't bother me, and I don't bother him. I never call out on him and usually they really mean that until they get themselves into a tight place and then they cry out for God to give them some help but the Bible says that we are at enmity with God we are at odds with God our sin has separated us from him and you and I cannot experience peace with God without the power of the spirit the Bible is clear unless the father draws you you will not come to the son and be saved and some of you need just that you're struggling and striving and trying to find peace And ladies and gentlemen, I want to submit to you this morning that if you want to experience the peace of God, why don't you today surrender so that you can have peace with God? Because once you have peace with God, then all the rest of what we're going to describe and talk about from the Gospels here in Jesus' Uh, focus uh, on peace is going to make clearer sense to you. But it will not make a bit of sense until then. And in fact, Jesus even said that in this verse of Scripture. It is the absence of fear in the midst of conflict. There's going to be turmoil in life. There's going to be struggle in life. And Jesus even promises that. But the reality is he says that peace will be yours in the midst of it. So let's look together in this wonderful passage and begin to see all that's going on. I think that we're going to draw some incredible truths today as we look at it. And I I would say this just as one more word of, of kind of introduction. If the weight and the pressure of life is crushing down on you, then I want you to understand today that Jesus has a message for you from here in John 14. He wants to give you his peace. So as we look in John 14 together, we'll see a unique conversation going on. John chapter 14 beginning in verse 15. Let's read together the word of God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But because, uh, but, but, excuse me, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live and you will live also. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world. And Jesus answered him and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. 
Look at verse 27. Here's the promise of peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful or afraid. You heard it. Uh, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it happens so that when it happens you may believe I will not speak much more to you for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me a couple of things to highlight here this is a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples just before he is to leave the world and he tells them I'm leaving Now, that can be a fearful thing. I would imagine that their anxiety level began to rise. They've spent time with Jesus. He calmed the storm in their midst. He fed them miraculously with thousands of others from the lunch of a small boy. And I imagine they were like children whose parents are going off on vacation saying, well, who's going to take care of us? Who's going to watch over us? I don't know about your experience. As a child, we traveled together as a family almost all the time. Very rarely did we not go on vacations or business trips or otherwise without my mom and my dad. There was one occasion they were going on a trip, and that was our very question. We, like these disciples, where are you going? Where are we going? Where are we going to stay? And I stayed with my grandmother, and then I stayed with an aunt for some time. And uh, the fun part of the story is this. They were headed out west for some business. They were going to drive by the Grand Canyon. They were going to spend time in Las Vegas. And as an inquisitive little kid, I began to ask what people went to Las Vegas for. And so I confidently went to church that Sunday morning, staying with my aunt. And I told uh, my Sunday school teacher about my deacon dad and my mom who were going to gamble in Las Vegas I just simply blurted it out there well that was not part of their plan and uh, we had a little discussion about that afterwards but you know the reality is as a child when they said we're going away on a trip my anxiety I can still remember wondering where am I going to go What are we going to do? Now, it was always a fun thing to go to my grandmother's to go and stay with aunts or uncles, different places. But the reality is there was a tension there. Well, you feel that tension here in the life of the disciples. Jesus says, I'm leaving you. I'm going away. And you can imagine that their anxiety would rise. But he goes on and he says, as we mentioned in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. And in verse 26 and 27, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit will come. Now, I want you to see a couple of preliminary thoughts here. They're in your notes. Let's fill them out. Jesus promised you are going to have trouble, but don't be troubled. You are going to have trouble, but don't be troubled. I think that's significant for us today to recognize. The world sees our religious belief as a crutch. They say that we are pie in the sky and we just believe that we can stick our heads in the sand while everything around us decays. But the reality is there cannot be anything further from the truth. Jesus promises trouble. He tells them you're going to be persecuted and hated and some of you will die for your faith. And he was telling them, I'm leaving you. You're going to be left alone. But then he says, no, I'm not leaving you alone. I will not leave you as orphans. He promises them trouble though. He says you will have peace but not peacefulness if that makes sense. Let let me give you the second phrase, kind of a, a different spin, same thing. He promises peace. But that doesn't mean that there won't be pressure. 
That doesn't mean that there won't be problems. So fill that in. He promises peace but not peacefulness. But you and I read a text like this devotionally, and I I would just about guarantee you I, I can filter what you've heard because you filtered it through your own desire for a sense of peace that is without pressure. What do you hear when you hear Jesus say, my peace I give to you? Here's what I experience in counseling church members and being with people. Here's what they hear. I will give you a good doctor's report. I will give you the marriage that you're really wanting. I'll give you a longer vacation this year. I'll give you the bonus that you've been working for. We hear Jesus say, I'm going to fix your problems. We hear Jesus say, I'm going to take the pressure off of you. No more trouble in this life. I'll work out the circumstances. And the reality is we think in terms of circumstances that he'll bring peacefulness. But Jesus himself promised, I'm not bringing you peacefulness. I'm giving you peace in the midst of the pressure, in the midst of the problems, in the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the heartache I'm going to give you my peace and so for you and for me we ought to take great comfort in the fact that when things get bad around us it doesn't shake the sovereignty of God it doesn't disturb the fact that he's still on his throne it doesn't change the fact he promised I will not leave you as orphans Now, as we move through this, as we think about it, we shouldn't think in terms of circumstances, but rather of our Savior. You see, he he promises pressure and persecution to them in this conversation. So how does it work? How do we find this peace that Jesus gives? The text teaches us very clearly it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that takes us a little farther. When you and I are filled with the Spirit of God, we, as Galatians says, we walk in step with the Spirit, in sync with the Spirit. And church family, you need to hear me on this. I'm not talking about going to church once a week or twice a month. I'm not talking about going to church on occasion and and giving a little money here and there. I'm talking about waking up in the morning and surrendering your life to the Holy Spirit, waking up and spending time in the Word of God and surrendering yourself and saying, God, today fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I might have your peace in my life. God, I'm asking you to move in my life. And there are few Christians that step out of the boat of the comfort of life and move into that place of faith where you say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to step out beyond my comfort zone and I want your Spirit to guard and guide. I want your spirit to lead me I want to be full of your spirit so that you would guide me in truth does that make sense it does to some but the text says it won't to others others in the world will not understand that I just want a devotional thought I want my family to grow up in church bless God I grew up in church I I came my parents brought me and so I'm gonna bring my kids the reality is You can go to hell from a church pew just as easily as you can from a bar stool. And the tragic reality is many are inoculated to the gospel because they think that their church attendance brings some sense of satisfaction and peace. The reality for us is that Jesus desires you and me to be filled with the Spirit of God so that we might experience His peace. Let's talk about this a little further. I want to show you some things that our text demonstrates about this idea. As we daily ask God to fill us with His Spirit, daily seek His will in His Word, this Spirit-filled life. Four thoughts 
about cultivating peace. Number one, I want you to see this. Jesus could be with them, but the Holy Spirit could be in them. This is pretty interesting. If you think about the conversation, it continues from chapter 14, 15, and 16. If you go to chapter 16, verse 7, very simply it says this, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. It is better for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I'll send him to you. You see, Jesus in his incarnation limited some of his divine attributes. He was not omnipresent. He was very present in one place. He was there in Bethlehem. He was there in the manger. He was at the temple in Jerusalem. He was often found with others around with his disciples walking on the hillside or on a boat. He was very present in one place, the cross, and in a tomb. And now ascended back to the Father. We know that God is everywhere. Jesus Christ has has for us made the way for us to go to God who is spirit. But the reality is Jesus was saying to them, if I'm here, I can be with you. If I'm gone, I can send the Spirit who will be in you. Now, I want you to grasp this with me. I've done a lot of study throughout the Bible about what it means for God to be with us. In the, in the past several weeks, we've been studying Joseph on Wednesday nights. And over and over again, this phrase emerged, God was with Joseph. We saw that about Abraham as well. God was with Abraham. And when we see those pictures of God being with, that was a longing of the people of God. God was going to send Messiah who would be with them and lead them. They didn't understand that it would be a spiritual kingdom as Jesus would ultimately proclaim. They thought he was going to be an earthly ruler and overthrow Rome. But the reality is even reflected in the language of <coughs> excuse me, of Christmas carols, we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. They were longing for God to be with them. They said, we're mourning in exile and we're longing for you to come. And we rejoice because you have come. In the Gospels, over and over again, we see Jesus was with them. But church family, I want you to see a unique shift. We praise God for Emmanuel. I am so thankful that Jesus came to be with us. But listen to this. In the book of Acts and following, no longer do you hear God is with them. You know why? Because from that point forward, God was not just with them. He was in them. He is in you and I. The Spirit is given as a deposit seal for us that God will come back for one day. That ought to make somebody want to shout. God is with you, not in a sense that He comes and goes. He will never, ever leave. He rested upon David. He rested upon Saul. He rested upon others in the Old Testament, but he indwells the believer of today. When Jesus left, he said, I'll send another who will come alongside you, and that spirit will guide you in all truth, and he will indwell you. And so Jesus said, it's far better that I go away so that I can send the spirit. Praise God that I can pray in the midnight hour in my home, and he's right there with me because he's in me, and somebody around the world can pray, and you can be whatever in whatever circumstances you're in and he's with you as well and Jesus in his physical limited body would be in one place but the spirit of God is with all of us who have trusted him so Jesus said it's better that I go away well this idea that God is in us is so significant what a, a shift for us I want you to see this very significantly in the old testament God with us in the new testament God in us 
And that leads me to the second point from verse 18. Here it is. When the pressure is on, you are never alone. If you want to have peace, that kind of a statement ought to give you peace. The pressure is going to come. Just expect it. Don't be frightened frightened by it or, or fret over it. Jesus promised it. But when the world is at its worst, God is at his best. When the pressure is on, you are never, ever, ever alone. And no pill can satisfy with that kind of peace. No pleasure in this world can satisfy with that kind of peace. The reality is only the indwelling power of the Spirit of God can bear out this fruit in your life that says, when life gets hard, I'm never alone. And because of that, I can be at peace. You remember the statement of affirmation. I am free from anxiety. Why? Because things are right as they should be with me and God and me and others. Very significant. When life is at its hardest, he's at his closest. I, I don't know of too many things more painful than being alone. Part of my testimony was this. I can remember being in a party filled with people, literally hundreds of people around and feeling all alone. I, I learned early in life, you don't have to be alone to be lonely. And I found that Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit indwelling me, gives me a sense that I am never alone. And that's truth. Jesus said, I'll never leave you as an orphan. Loneliness can be this deep and, and even suffocating ache. But Jesus said, you're never alone. You never have to face that ache. And so that part of the struggle of life goes away when we find peace. And, and here's the sad reality. Many Christians never experience that. Because you don't walk filled with the Spirit. Again, it goes beyond church attendance for me and you. It goes deep beyond that. It goes to a place of crying out and saying, Lord, fill me. It goes to spending time in his word so that he walks with us. Dr. Adrian Rogers said this often. You as a believer living out of sync with the spirit of God are living beneath your privilege. We have the privilege of walking and talking with the God of the universe. And we often live beneath that Privilege. There are so many Christians who've been given the gift of the Spirit but live as though He's not been given to us. Let me give you a picture that maybe will encourage you in this. The Bible is very, very clear that the picture of the Holy Spirit as a helper, in the, the original language, it, it simply means this it's one who draws alongside. And I just thought of that in every scenario of life. The one who draws up alongside. You're standing at the graveside. The one who draws up alongside is there. You're looking at divorce papers. The one who draws up alongside is there. You're leaving the office, walking away with a box, anticipating something different. And the end of that story was radically different than what you thought. But the one who draws up alongside is right there with you. The doctor gives you news that absolutely rocks your world. And the one who draws up alongside is there. I can give personal testimony of those kinds of things. You're sitting in an ultrasound room and they hear no heartbeat. And the one who draws up alongside is there. Stood in that place. 
You see, here's what you need to understand. There's a peace that comes from the confidence of his presence. And you can say, I don't have to fight the battle alone. I don't have to face the storm alone because the one who draws up alongside is right there. And that gives me ultimate peace. That gives me a sense of great confidence. Jesus could be with them, but the Spirit of God is in us and you are never alone. Now, I want to take this just a little bit farther as we focus on this because I think sometimes we kick against the very thing that God wants for us. Instead of walking with the Spirit and depending on the Spirit, many push Him away. We went through a season a couple of years ago in our family where we had garbage strewn out all over the yard for four or five nights. And I was vexed in my spirit over this. I thought it was the neighbor's dog. And I thought really, really ill will and bad thoughts toward my neighbor. But we did a little reconnaissance and we did a little uh, survey in the middle of the night. And we recognized that it was a family of raccoons. And so I just decided this is a great challenge. Those, those raccoons are defying me as the king of this castle. And Hanbury Manor has come under attack. And so I went and I got a, a raccoon trap. And I decided I was going to trap those raccoons. And we were going to safely relocate them because I have three daughters. And that would be their desire for those raccoons that they be safely relocated to some undisclosed location. Well, it took me four nights to trap the big one, the, the, the main ringleader, the one that really was after me. I just didn't like that raccoon at all. I put peanut butter out, and he scooped it off from the side. And I put a banana on the peanut butter, and he enjoyed that and I almost left a thank you note. I mean, I was just feeding this stupid raccoon. So I finally wrapped it up into a tarp and opened up the entryway where he couldn't get to it from the side, and I got it. We could see movement. Heidi and I were all excited because every morning early, like 5 o'clock in the morning, she's waking me up. I, you know, it's one of those weird, you, you know this, parents, especially here on, da, on Father's Day, when there's a presence in the room with you, you know, and they're, they're not speaking, they're just staring at you. Well, Heidi would be standing there staring at me. Waiting to go discover what was in the trap. Well, we went out there, and, and from Heidi's description, if you were to talk to her or my daughters or Stephanie, it was the cutest baby cuddly raccoon you've ever seen. From my perspective, it was a mangy, you know, varmin-infested, just horrible, awful, I think it had rabies. It was just vicious big teeth. And I was going to honor their wish and to take that raccoon far away to another place. Well, when I went to pick up the cage, it swatted at me. It tried to bite me. I looked at that thing and said, what meaneth thou this? I mean, I was not happy with this raccoon. So I got a long pole. I got a, a, a broomstick, and I picked up the handle, and I put it in the back of my truck. And, I, you know, I, I've got confessions just there. He went home to be with the Lord. I'm sorry. I just need to tell you that. <laughs> I, you can write letters later if you want to. I relocated him to the New Jerusalem. <laughs> don't you imagine that at times, don't you imagine that at times when we fight the leadership and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, it's like a raccoon trying to bite one that would try to free it and put it someplace safer. The reality is that we are in a place where God longs to bring us peace in the midst of pressure of life. And the Bible says that the world will not understand it. Some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. When I talk about peace, that seems so strange and so foreign and so alien and so distant. But the reality is you can start right where you are. I want you to hear this very, very quickly. Peace is closer than you think. 
I, I don't know about you, but I, I have become fairly dependent on this little device that's in my hand. And, and one of the greatest tools that i found, I'm usually not preemptive with the GPS. I usually will get good and lost before I stop and ask for directions. I've been anywhere, yeah. Uh, but, but the reality is there's a little place that says, where do you want to go? And it says, where do you want to start from? And it gives you a default. It says you start at your current what? Location. You can start at your current location because the Holy Spirit of God is here in this place. And His desire is for you from wherever you are. You may be recovering from your attempts at finding peace from a pill. You may be recovering from your attempts of finding peace with a a pleasure. You may be struggling through frustration because you're on that treadmill of trying to work up peace. And the reality is it's not something you work up. It's something that He grows up in you. And when you discover peace with God, then you begin to get the peace of God. Let me take you to to two other places. I just mentioned there, he put it on the screen. The experience of peace makes no sense to the world. People don't get it. I've walked, I'll never forget, Benson and Denise Paris, beautiful, wonderful family. One of our churches, they lost an infant to SIDS. And I watched as they stood graveside and, and with strength and confidence said, God is taking care of us. And you've seen families that have walked through literal hell on earth. And you said, how in the world can they go through that? And they have what the Bible calls peace that passes understanding. It doesn't make sense to the world. The world would say, I I just need to drown my sorrow away in alcohol. I need to, to escape from this in some way. I don't know that I could cope with that. You see, we as Christians don't deny the problems of our lives. The pressure and the pain. We anticipate it because Jesus promised it. But we stand confidently with peace because he promised he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And when we walk in step with and in sync with the Spirit of God, we can have that peace. Finally, I want you to see this. And fourthly, very significant for us to see. Beyond the fact that the expectation of peace or the experience of peace is something that others don't Uh, understand he guides us and guards us but I want you to see this he is our guard and he is our guide Jesus described him this way he said he will guide you into all truth and the Bible says about the peace that passes understanding I love this sometimes we just pray that we say I'm just praying that you would have the peace of God that passes understanding it's not something that you have scripture says the peace of God that passes understanding guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. There's a significant difference. Oh, I just want to have a little peace. That's not what God's offering today. God's saying, my peace and my presence will stand on guard over your heart and over your mind. And in the wee hours of the morning, in the midst of distress and discouragement and frustration and anxiety and pain, he's there and he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. How does this work in a practical way? When you walk in his word, he'll guide you. So some of you are going to get up tomorrow and and take me up on this. You're going to read the word. You're going to say, God, I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit. And you're going to read in Philippians that it says that you need to take heart to the interest of others above it beyond your own. And as you serve people, as you obey that, 
you'll find peace. Some of you will recognize that forgiveness is something he is leading you toward. And you offer forgiveness. You extend it to someone and all of a sudden you live with peace. You see, his peace comes when you obey him. When you walk in his word and in his way. And so simply, I'm telling you, walk with the Lord. You'll be in step with the Spirit as you spend time in His Word. But the first step for many of you perhaps today is you need to experience peace with God. You're at odds with Him, but Jesus Christ built a bridge with a cross. He died so that you wouldn't have to. He gave you the opportunity to live eternally. Let's stand together. If the need of your heart today is to be saved, if that's the need of your life, trust the Lord. Come and and let us explain from God's Word what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you need to go to the altar and say, God, I just want off the treadmill. I just want to follow your leadership. I want your spirit to guard and guide my heart. You let God have his way this morning.